I wanted to spend some time this evening talking about something that we don't often uh, discuss in Buddhism, uh, and that's prayer. So is there prayer in Buddhism? Um, sort of. <laughs> so some some schools of Buddhism, uh, like Tibetan Buddhism, you know, you'll hear of prayer flags, like the, the ones you see behind me there, uh, or prayer wheels. Uh, and they'll use them to assist in liturgical observances or in chanting. Um, but those activities are a little different from what we normally mean in the West when we talk about prayer. Uh, there's a classic image of someone with their head bowed and their hands, you know, folded maybe. Um, you know, maybe their hands held open in prayer. Uh, maybe kneeling down in prayer. Uh, maybe facing a holy site as they pray. And in that image of prayer, what we're often thinking about is you know, asking some being outside of ourselves to impact our lives, you know, the lives of people we care about. So, you know, praying for safe travel, uh, praying for healing of an illness, uh, to get a job or to pass a test or to say thank you when those things happen as a result of a prayer. Um, and prayer in, in that traditional sense, that traditional Western sense, uh, is often directed at some entity that we believe can make a difference, right? An, an omnipotent God or one of a pantheon of gods um, or spirits inhabiting certain objects or locations or some spiritual figure or presence that can uh, intercede on our behalf. And then as a result of those prayers, you know, we gauge the effectiveness by whether or not they were answered sometimes, right? You know, we we want what we're praying for to happen. Um, growing up in the church, you know, I was taught that all prayers are answered, but sometimes that answer is no, right? So sometimes we don't get the job or we don't pass the test uh, or the person that we wanted to get better doesn't get better. Right. And, and I would say that that idea of prayer, that traditional understanding of prayer, where we're asking for something out there to act in our lives is a bit less common in Buddhism. Uh, I'm sure you'll find it in, in some schools or in some areas of the world where uh, Buddhism is practiced, but it's, it's less common. Um, you know, and, and this is largely because Buddhism is considered to be non-theistic. So where prayer is often asking a being, oftentimes a god, uh, for some assistance of some kind, uh, Buddhism is non-theistic. And that basically is to, to say that the existence of gods aren't a requirement for the Buddha's teachings to be true. Um, now, there are gods in Buddhism, Um you know, but they're they're sort of like the the furniture uh, of 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 Buddhism as opposed to the feature, right? Um, for example, there are stories where the Buddha, you know, preaches a sermon to the gods in heavenly realms to help them understand the Dharma, right? It's a bit different of an image than 
we see in a lot of monotheistic religions. You know, you don't often see a human teacher kind of telling a god what's what, right? Um, but in Buddhism, the gods don't really do anything for humans. And so Buddhism doesn't really teach us to ask for anything from the gods, right? Now, all that being said, for those not familiar with Buddhism, or they've only seen a certain image of, of you know, Buddhism or popular images of Buddhism, they may think like, well, there's a lot of different gods, right? Aren't you guys praying to gods all the time? You know, you go into a temple and you see altars and statues and all sorts of different representations and Buddhists are bowing and offering incense and, and in other ways venerating these representations. Um, but all of those statues and other representations, they're not representing something out there. They're rep representing something in here, right? They're representing different aspects of ourselves that it can be useful to reflect on. And I know that Osho Mike in our in-person uh, meditation or our in-person liturgy uh, in Camp Hill, which is on Monday evenings at 630, if you would ever like to join them. Um, he gave a talk on some of these figures, these bodhisattvas, a lot of them. Um, and I'll, I'll share a few of them. I'll share the, the Japanese names because our, our tradition is rooted in uh, some Japanese schools. But one very uh, common bodhisattva is Kanzion or Kanon. Um, also known, you you may know the name Avalokiteshvara that you might see in the Heart Sutra, um, or Guanyin or Guanyin, which is the Chinese uh, Avalokiteshvara is a Sanskrit name for Kanzion um, or Kanon. Um, and this is a bodhisattva often depicted as sort of an androgynous figure, figure sometimes with many arms, um, and it's the bodhisattva's of compassion. And fun fact, because I love trivia, but fun fact, if you, you know, the the camera company, Canon, if you look at their old logo, it's Canon, Kanzion, you know, this bodhisattva with many arms. Um, so fun fact <laughs> on a Wednesday night. Um, another popular bodhisattva is Jizo. Oftentimes the, you'll see sometimes like a shoot, uh, a short, cute, you know, older looking bald guy with holding a staff with a robe um maybe sometimes holding a child that is jizo um or shitagarba kashitagarba in sanskrit uh the bodhisattva of change travel children and women another one fudo myo uh fudo is often a very fierce looking bodhisattva um also called akala in sanskrit and fudo is the bodhisattva of protection you know, carrying a sword to cut through delusion. Uh, or Amida Buddha, or Amitabha in Sanskrit, represents our potential to Buddhahood, or, or more specifically, our inevitable Buddhahood. But all of these figures that you may see in a Buddhist temple, or you may see in popular images of Buddhism, um, or even in restaurants, <laughs> you know, all of these are, are, are figures that embody traits that we can see in ourselves. They're not out there. You know, now we can connect with some of these beings, um, even though they represent us. We can connect with them. We connect with the idea of them. 
And there's some Buddhist practices that, you know, will visualize these bodhisattvas, especially in some tantric schools. Uh, and, and those visualization exercises can be very useful for exploring our minds and our emotions or, or creating in a certain mental states that can be beneficial to our practice. Um, and so, like I said, even though we may not pray to these beings asking for something, I'm not going to pray to Kanzion or pray to Jizo per se to ask for something to happen. Um, acknowledging our connection to them is an important part of our practice. And, and some of the ways that we acknowledge that connection is through different chants and mudras right um when when priests in our order open the space you know with lighting of incense asperging ringing bells uh we're using some chants related to some of these bodhisattvas namo furo boza kanji zai boza right and when we offer incense later in this liturgy we'll we'll chant namu amida butsu right which is a, a chant uh related to amida which is our, like I said, our our potential to Buddhahood. Um, and chanting in terms of mindful and prayerful activities is actually a very big one, right? I, chanting is great because it can bring about a meditative space because the chanting, the fact that it's coming from our own voice, our own vocal cords can bring us back into our bodies, right? Um, a lot of times when people meditate, they will count the breaths as a way to uh, be present in their bodies. But I find chanting to be much more effective and actually pay attention to that uh, as we chant later when we light incense um, to see if you notice that by the, you know, once you chant for a little while, you're like, ooh, I'm really here, <laughs> right? Um, so chanting, like I said, I mentioned mudras as well. Mudras are symbolic hand gestures um, that we use to represent different bodhisattvas or, or different things in our practice um for example mudra for fudo the bodhisattvas of protection is the index finger and pinky raised up like this right we we've seen this used before in, in other places sometimes in rock concerts right <laughs> maybe a different meaning but for us it's the mudra of protection and and actually sensei tony while i was in seminary mentioned to us that um you know he'll sort of unconsciously make this mudra if he'll hear sirens or see an ambulance go by. And I've actually started doing that myself, you know, as, a, as an expression of hoping for the safety of all those involved, you know, protection, well-being, right? So, while Buddhists may not pray in a traditional sense, you know, asking a god for something to happen, I wanted to show that there are things that we do that help us stay connected to our Buddha nature, to our true self, to acknowledge that. Um, and we may even do some of those things like mudras, offering incense, chanting, um, for the benefit of others, to wish them well, to keep them safe. Right Now, in a metaphysical sense, does making that mudra, you know, if I'm sitting in traffic, and an ambulance goes by and I, I kind of make this mudra just very subtly, like against my leg as I'm sitting there in my car. Does that have a direct impact on the EMTs in that ambulance or to the people who they're going to see? In the same way that, you know, those who pray to an omnipotent God would expect their prayers to be answered. Who knows? 
maybe. Do I expect this hand gesture to miraculously heal someone or keep them safe as if by magic somehow? Um, not necessarily. At least not in the same way that folks may expect a prayer to miraculously heal someone, say through you know a miracle of some kind. Um, however, does taking a moment to make that gesture extend my thoughts towards people who may be hurting and in need of care and extend to them a desire for health and well-being and care? Does that make a difference in me? And the answer is absolutely it does. Right? It reminds me that there are people out there who need healing. It reminds me of the fragility and impermanence of life. It takes me out of my river of thoughts and into an attitude of presence and compassion. And I strongly believe that by doing that, I'm more likely to make a positive difference in the world, you know, when I live that way. And and that's what prayer in Buddhism is really about. It's about that intention, right? It's not about necessarily wishing for miracles in the world, but it's about understanding the change that an attitude of, of prayer and presence can have. And the change that can take place in us um, is more than just, you know, words and actions. It's how we think. It's how we see the world. It's how we speak to others. And doing that on a daily basis, you know, uh, can help make what we want to happen happen. Right where there is a uh, where there is attention, there is energy. Right, and because of our interbeing, our connectedness with the entire world, if it makes a difference in us. And then it can make a difference everywhere. So, to come back around to our original question, uh, is there prayer in Buddhism? And I'll answer the same way, sort of. You know, maybe not in the way that people often think of prayer. Uh, you know, asking a divine being to make a difference in the world, to intercede on our behalf. Or perform miracles. However, there are prayerful activities in Buddhism uh, that, in the context of our own pain and suffering, uh, or in the suffering of others, can make a difference. And these small prayers, or chants, or mudras, or gattas, uh, which are small, small sayings that we we have in the back of our uh, book of common meditation. You know, these can take us out of our habitual mental patterns, you know, and give us something to do in situations when we encounter suffering or we know that suffering is going on. And it can create in us an energy or intention to make the world a better place. And that can actually come through in our words and our thoughts and our actions and actually make a difference in the world, right? Because it's moving us. It's not moving a being out there, but it's moving us. It's inspiring us to act in a hundred small ways. So, for instance, you know, 
if a hundred or a thousand or a million people took time to pause and make a mudra of protection every time they heard sirens would that do i believe that would have an impact on society of course because we're all going to live differently because of that and so we may actually enact change in the world because any practice that changes our minds can change the world too so i hope that that a short reflection on on prayer was was very helpful um and a, a book recommendation one of the the books that i looked at as i was preparing for this week that we we had as a we used to have um some book uh like a book club <laughs> um it's called the energy of prayer by Thich Nhat Hanh. it's a great book and it, it actually changed my my thinking years ago around how to think about prayer and the effectiveness of prayer and the energy and the intention that that prayer creates so i recommend that uh, to you all so again i hope that was helpful